Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your co-hosts this evening. Uh, and along with me tonight is Brian, our other regular co-host. Uh, how are you doing, Brian? Hey, doing well. Looking forward to part two of this series. Exactly. And as Brian indicates, this is a second part of two-parter. Both parts are related to the role God has given to women. And we have as our special guest for both of these parts, uh, our preacher, uh, Alan Hitchett. Uh, Alan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, Jeff. Thank you. So certainly we would encourage our listeners to go back and uh, listen to part one first. Uh, but Alan, in lieu of that, can you maybe give our audience kind of a, a brief overview as to what we covered last time? Yes, I would enjoy doing that, Jeff. The problem that we often face as Christians when we're trying to study with someone is that they have a preconceived idea about truth, and when the scriptures completely disagree with them, then they will uh, completely reject the scripture. So it's always a good idea to lay some groundwork, to lay some things we agree with. Nearly every uh, discussion in the scriptures starts like that. When Stephen is preparing to preach his final sermon where they're going to put him to death, he starts out man and fathers, and then he starts with points of agreement. And so when we deal with a subject that has controversy, I like to start with points of agreement and also, why would this be controversial? Why is it that anything in the scriptures would appear to be controversial to the people who are living at that time? So one of the things that we know the scriptures teach, Alan, is that we are to speak the same thing and have no divisions. And Paul mentioned that. Can you maybe talk a little bit about, you know, why is it so hard to do that overall as humans, I guess we might say, or religious people, you know? Yeah. I've, I've pondered that for years. I've tried to understand it. I've looked at Jesus and his reception by the religious leaders of his day and why what he was trying to teach was so controversial. And I think that probably the best scripture that would sum this up is something Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 25, he makes an interesting contrast. He speaks in verse 17 and 18 of the aimless manner of life handed down from our fathers. And then he concludes the chapter with the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, the word of God clearly has all truth. The Word of God is the Word of God. It is the will of God. It is the truth. We believe that God has providentially kept it just as He has promised, and that it is just as accurate and clear today as it has always been. And so when people approach the Scriptures and see something in the Scriptures that seems controversial to them, it's because the conduct of the culture has come down in a different direction than the conduct of the Scriptures. But Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, that if we want to be a genuine disciple, we have to remain in his word. And 
probably the best opportunity we will ever have to see how much we really trust the Lord is going to be when something we learned in our culture clashes with something in the scriptures and we choose the scriptures over the wisdom of men. And that was Paul's point to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the wisdom of God and the wisdom of men are often in conflict with one another. The things that man thinks are wise, God sometimes despises. And the things that God calls wise, man sometimes despises. So his true servants are constantly going to have to evaluate their own convictions and their own behavior, not on the culture alone, but on the things that are in the scriptures. And Paul made it an interesting comment in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said that God chose foolish, weak, base, and often things that man will despise and has placed them in the scriptures. And so when we find a controversy that seems foolish or weak, base, and people despise it, that gives us the opportunity to exhibit Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 7. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. So when God says something, my response is to trust with all of my heart and not lean on my own understanding. But the problem often is, and this is why it's so controversial, and this is why it's actually entered some churches to where when we read these verses, it's going to be considered to be a debate. Now we have to debate this. Instead of all speaking the same thing as the scriptures, we find sometimes that there are uh, people who don't like the scriptures. They will not submit to the scriptures, and they become angry when we quote those scriptures. Well, and the point you're making is, especially if the overarching culture has shifted, uh, particularly shifted a lot. I mean, for instance, within the United States, within the last you know 50 to 100 years, there have been you know massive changes to our culture, our language, what people find acceptable, what people find not acceptable. And now we find ourselves, in my opinion, you know, in a time where there's a lot of things that people just naturally used to accept, you know, basic Judeo-Christian morality, for instance, that has almost been mostly rejected. So in some ways, I can, I can see where a lot of people would be you know, maybe initially shocked and then repulsed by someone making claims that are, I don't know, somewhat, quote unquote, archaic. You know, from 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago, in contrast to uh, the way we moderns view things. That's, a, that's an excellent observation, Jeff. And the, and the sad reality is, is that I fully expect, as we start reading some of these scriptures, that some of the people in our audience are going to become angry. Some of the people in our audience are going to feel that... Uh, where in the world would this preacher be coming up with these things? And yet, they've been in the Bible for 2,000 years. So where does he come up with them? Well, he, he leans on the scriptures instead of the culture. And when the scriptures look despised by some, that's when the true Christians are going to continue on. And, and that brings us, I think, to a very important verse that, that I'd like to have everyone thinking about as we go through this material, and that's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Sure. Here it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I think that when we see the setting here, where Jesus is actually talking about all of the people who think they are his disciples, they're calling him Lord. They are proclaiming that they serve him and they love him and they honor him. But Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, not everyone who says he is my disciple, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And of course, the will of the Father in heaven is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all the way through to Revelation. That is the will of God. The will of God, as Jesus promised his apostles, the Holy Spirit would come and reveal these things. And so when we do them, then we are doing the will of of his Father. If we don't do them, then we're going to find in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that last line, you who practice lawlessness, the scriptures are the laws of God. You remember Jesus told his apostles in Matthew chapter 28, after proclaiming to them that all authority has been given to me, he told them, you're going to go into all nations and you're going to teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So everything in the scriptures are the commandments of Jesus. If we don't keep them, we're practicing lawlessness. So when we talk about the wife submitting to her husband, or when we talk about the woman keeping silent in the church, those are commands from Jesus. And if we say we're not going to follow that, that moves us from keeping law to practicing lawlessness. And that's really the choice that we have to make. Will we keep our culture's views or will we keep the scripture's views? Will we believe what the scriptures say or will we allow the teachings of the culture we grew up in to cause us to despise the scriptures? or to think the scriptures are foolish or weak. And sadly, many people today think on this subject specifically that the people who are doing these things are weak and foolish, and they are definitely looked down upon. Well, and from the moment, coming back to our culture for a few moments, um, you know, there are some subjects that people do tend to get somewhat uh, invested in or emotional over or, or, you know, upset about. And, you know, some they don't, but, you know, some they do. And, and certainly the subject of, um, you know, women's rights, uh, the subject of abortion, the subject of, uh, you know, sexuality, etc., are really held to a lot of people, you know, very closely. And if you want to insinuate that what they believe is different uh, or contrary to what the Bible says, uh, that indeed can provoke a very strong emotional response, um, can potentially provoke a, a very you know militant kind of response because that's one that's those are some of the topics that in our culture they're they're fighting words. I mean, not necessarily literally you know fighting and violence, but a very strong reaction. Yes, that's a that's exactly right. And as I I always go back in my own mind to Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He taught the law 
perfectly. And yet he generated anger and bitterness and hatred. And finally, physically, he was persecuted to the point of being beaten and crucified. And so when Jesus himself is not exempt from the anger of one culture, as he points out to them that what the scriptures say and what they're doing are not the same, then as Jesus told his apostles, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they accepted me, they will accept you. And that's true even to this present day. If, if we accept Jesus, we will accept the writings of the apostles. If we do not accept the writings of the apostles, then if we were living in the day of Jesus, we would be persecuting him as well. And that's a sad thing to think about, a sober thing to think about, but it's the truth. Uh, so when we take something Jesus said, and that's where I want to go next. I want to, the hub of, I think, this controversy is really set forth in something Jesus says in Mark chapter 10 and breathes throughout the New Testament scriptures, and yet it is so contrary to the philosophy of multitudes of people all over the world. And we looked at this first last week, but I would like to look at it again. So, uh, Jeff, you made the last comment. Brian, why don't you read... Uh, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45 for me, please. And Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they who are accounted to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whosoever would become great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever would be first among you shall be servant of all. For the Son of Man also came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. This verse turns human wisdom upside down. Most of us, when we first read this, are confused. How could being a servant make us great? So, when Jesus explains that in heaven, service is seen as greatness. And he came down from heaven to become the servant who would suffer, be crucified, and die for the world because of his love and because of his desire to submit to other people and to submit to God. And so Jesus is just transferring that to us as his disciples. In, among the Gentiles, the leaders are considered the great ones. It is not going to be like that among his disciples. Among disciples, greatness will be determined by our level of service. The more we serve, the greater we are. The more we demand service, the lower we become. As Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to. He did not come to be served. He came to be a servant. And so service is not something to be looked down upon. Service is something that leads to greatness. Now, when we understand this, then all the things that are said about the woman's role and all the things that are said oftentimes about the man's role, about the service that we are supposed to be giving to one another, is not a lowering, but a raising. So God sees service the way we would see authority. 
we see authority as the greater you are, the more authority you have, the more you can demand from other people. And God sees it, the greater you are, the more you are working and helping and putting yourselves under other people. And so once we understand this verse, once we understand that it is not so among disciples, whoever wants to be great as a disciple must become a servant. Now, once we understand that, then anything God says about women serving, it's not demeaning. It's elevating. When God says that a woman is a servant, then that is her, her path toward greatness. And yet, for many in the world today, when we hear what God says about women, they despise it because it seems to them like we are demeaning women, we are lowering women, we are putting women in a position of servitude, when the reality is, no, we're not. We're putting a woman into the position of greatness. And that is the distinction or the difference between how the disciples would look at the commands regarding service and how the world would look at it. And so we would expect people in the world to look down on these things, but not the Lord's disciples. The Lord's disciples have been clearly told what they should do. So when we come to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, about the role that God gave to a man and the role that he gave to the woman. And of course, in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God made the man, then he made the woman, he made the woman for the man, and they became one flesh. Now, let's go ahead and read what Paul says about this relationship in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses uh, 2 and 3. Uh, Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Okay. Now I praise you, brethren that you remember me in all things and keep their traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So we, we look at that verse, and as I said, there are many people in the world today who are going to despise this verse. The head of woman is man, and the people who would look at it that way are still seeing service in, the, in, an, in an improper way. They are seeing service as demeaning. Service is not demeaning. When Jesus submits to God the Father, that is not demeaning. When a man submits to Christ, it's not demeaning. So when a woman submits to a man, that is not demeaning either. It is a part of God's plan back in eternity. And we can't change that. The body of a man is different from the body of a woman. The relationship of a man and a woman are based on how God created them and what his expectations were. And so when Paul says, these are the traditions that I have delivered to you, these are the traditions in the scriptures. This is a scriptural tradition. If the traditions of men are handed down and they differ from this, then here exactly is what we've been talking about throughout this lesson. Here comes the decision. Am I going to reject what Paul said? He was inspired. These are the Holy Spirit's words, not his. Am I not going to accept them? If I don't accept them, then I am leaning on my own understanding, and I am going to continue in the aimless conduct handed down from our fathers, 
and I will be trapped in that until I go before the Lord and the Lord says to me, depart from me because you practice lawlessness. You saw this command, but you would not submit to it. Um, Let's go ahead now and and keep going in that chapter. Let's read uh, verses 8 and 9. Man is not from woman, but woman from man. Or was man created for the woman, but woman for the man? Any comments, Brian? Jeff? Well, I'll just say this real quick, Alan, because I was thinking about, you're going to get more into this, I know, as we continue on with the podcast, but what we're seeing here and what we will continue to see is that God put an order of authority, much like Jesus is over the head of the church and over man and so forth. Uh, you know, the, the key is it's important to pay attention as we read these verses because God is establishing, as you're talking about, right, the role for a woman and why he's, he's put this role into place. And so anyhow, a very important passage to certainly look at. Yes. And so when Paul does say man is not from woman, but woman from man, that's exactly what Genesis chapter 1 reveals and chapter 2. When God created man in chapter 2, he created him alone. And he had the man name all the animals. Then he put the man to sleep. And the woman was taken out of the man, taken from the rib. Now again, some people today despise this. They think it's weak. They think it's foolish. They think we evolved from monkeys, which seems a little weaker and more foolish to me. But that's what they believe. And so when they see this verse, they scoff at it. But The Holy Spirit is only affirming what he's already said in the book of Genesis. Jesus made it very clear that the law and the prophets were from God, and he never pointed out a single thing that was written and said, this is not true, this is only what men teach. As a matter of fact, he confirmed it when he said in Matthew chapter 19 that from the beginning God made them male and female and said, for this cause a man will leave Uh, his mother and father, and cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And so Jesus confirms, and Paul is confirming, the truths of what is revealed in the book of Genesis, and that is that God created the man first, and Paul says there was a reason for that. Man is not from woman, woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, that's how God reveals it to us, and we have to believe this. We have to believe it. We have to accept it. We can't violate Proverbs 3, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, nor can we violate Jesus' words that the things that Paul wrote are directly from the Holy Spirit. And so when he says this, we've got a stark choice. And on the judgment day, we're going to have to stand before the Lord and we're going to have to explain to him, Lord, I saw this passage, but I just couldn't believe it. And try to explain why we couldn't believe it when the reality is we have to believe it and we have to accept it or we're not disciples. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is the truth. And it will free us from the aimless conduct handed down from our fathers. But if we can't accept it, then at least let's acknowledge that we are not going to submit to the Scriptures because they are clearly in the Scriptures. But I like the word that Brian used, you know, that of authority. I think if people stop to realize that, you know, within culture, there 
are a lot of examples where we have this sense of authority. You know, parents with children or school teachers with students or employers with employees or, you know, police with citizens. And it's something natural that we normally accept. And, and we don't think of it as, you know, inferior, superior, but just one of designated, you know, as Brian says, role, authority uh, or role. So we've got that, got it all around about us. Except when we come to you know passages like we're working on right now in First Corinthians. Well, again, that's an excellent point, and it gives all of us the opportunity to be servants. Men are servants of Christ. Men are servants of one another. Paul went on, or earlier in the book, Paul said, "I become all things to all men. I serve all men to the best of my ability." There's nothing wrong with service. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that God has placed certain positions in a different pecking order, as we as we use that term, and, and, and we have to accept it. We may not like it, but we have to accept it. Like I said, this is where our faith gets stretched. This is where we show God, God, I am not going to lean on my own understanding. I don't like this verse. I don't agree with this verse. I don't understand this verse, but you said it, and so I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to have to rebuild my life based on your truth. Because Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will truly, you will be genuine disciples and know the truth. So here's, here's a clear line in the sand where God gives us this opportunity. Oh, and I also find it interesting that the passage that we read, 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9, and the one that we're about to go to next, I think, um, the argument that the Spirit through Paul is making is not based on culture. It's not based on, you know, inferiority or weakness or deficiency or whatever. Um, but he goes all the way back to, you know, the creation from the beginning, which basically, my understanding, makes it a timeless kind of principle. Excellent point. That's exactly right. Paul is making, well, let me rephrase that. The Holy Spirit is using Paul to make the point that this is from the creation. This is the clearest view of how God created man and woman and what God's expectations were for man and woman. And that's how Paul closes out this section in verses 11 and 12. Uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. And there's that last statement, which is the most profound of all. All things are from God. Everything we have, everything we are, is from God. And God had a plan for us. He had a design and a purpose. He says man is not independent of woman. Man is dependent on woman. We'll be talking about this in just a few moments, that man has to depend on woman, and woman has to depend on man. They're both necessary and essential. Their roles are necessary and essential. And when they both do what God designed them to do, then God's will is going to be done, because that's the plan that God has created for us. And so when we take this information about the roles of the man and the woman into the marriage relationship, we see in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, that wives are to submit to your own husband as to the Lord. 
Though the submission with which the woman submits to Christ, she is also to submit to her own husband. Now again, that's a difficult thing to do. And in our culture, it is weak and base and foolish, and some despise it. But we're Christians. We're disciples of Christ. Paul is not writing this letter. The Holy Spirit is. If we don't want to be guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit by saying the Holy Spirit didn't write this book, Paul wrote it. Well, that's blasphemy. The Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures. And if I'm not going to subject myself to them, then I ought to at least be honest enough to say that I am no longer a Christian. I'm no longer going to abide in God's word. And again, that's going to make some people angry. Is that controversial? Well, certainly it is. But is it true? Absolutely it's true that wives are to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Then verse 2, the husband is the head of the wife. I'm sorry, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Now we understand that Christ is the head of the church. Now we understand that the husband is the head of the wife. And this does not start with Jesus. This goes all the way back to creation. God created the man first, then he created the woman. And it was God's intent, always God's intent, that this is the plan. Now, those of us who love the Lord and live in this culture, we have this clash. We have the clash of the culture saying that this is foolish, this is weak. Women should not have to submit to their husbands. Then we have God saying, yes, she should. And then we have to make the decision. And the same thing in in the next verse, just as the church is in subjection to Christ, so let wives be to your own husbands in everything. And so here we have the clear contrast between the submission of a woman, the submission of the church. The submission of the church to Christ is both men and women, and we are all in submission in some way or another. No one is the full complete dominion except one, and that is God. God has complete dominion. But Jesus is under God. Man is under Jesus. Man and woman are under Jesus, but the woman is also under the man. That's the order. We like it. We don't like it. Doesn't matter. It's the truth. If we're going to be disciples indeed, we have to accept what the Lord said. If we won't accept what the Lord said, then on the judgment day, the Lord is going to have to talk to us about this. And the saddest thing about this is that the beauty, the hidden beauty that God considers precious is fully dependent upon her ability to be submissive. If she can't be submissive, she can never be beautiful to God. Let's look at this verse. We talked a little bit about this verse uh, last week, but I want to touch on it again. Uh, Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? 1 Peter 3, verses uh, 4 through 6. Okay. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. In this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Peter, and again, the Holy Spirit through Peter is revealing that a woman who is in submission to her husband has an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit 
which is very precious in the sight of God. So any woman who says, my culture teaches me that being in submission is demeaning. Being in submission makes me less of a person. I will never be in submission. And with the culture, the devil has won a great victory because now the incorruptible beauty of a meek and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God, is forever out of her reach. She can never reach the precious, beauty, gentle, and quiet spirit because it can only be manifested. Look at verse 5 again. In this manner, the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves with this meek and quiet spirit by being in submission to their own husbands. Like it or not, God has made it as clear as he possibly can. The beauty, the spiritual beauty of a woman is found in her submission. If she can't be in submission because her culture is teaching her that being in submission is demeaning, then again, Satan has won because that woman will not trust in the Lord with all her heart. She will not be able to be submissive because she sees it as base and foolish and weak and she despises it. And it's heartbreaking because it's not hard to do. It is not hard to be in submission. Jesus said, you're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven when you become submissive. But the culture says, no, being in submission is demeaning. And it's only because men wrote the Bible that women are put in this position, which again is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, not men. And so when you say, I'm not going to accept the Bible because it's the words of men, you are saying to the Holy Spirit, I don't believe you wrote it. And in doing that, we put ourselves in a very precarious position. So as a preacher, as a Christian, as a disciple, as an individual who loves the Lord and loves the truth, I have no choice but to teach what the scriptures teach and to try to teach them gently and kindly and lovingly. And yet we can't, we can't just turn away from the scripture. The scripture is very clear. The incorruptible beauty, which means it's eternal. A gentle and quiet spirit, precious in the sight of God, based on submission to their own husbands. So that's the challenge, and it's going to be a hard challenge. And Peter deals with this at the very end when he says that you're going to be the daughters of Sarah if you act like Sarah and are not afraid, because there's a lot of women today who are afraid to be in submission, or at least to admit they're in submission, because the world would look down on them. But that's the persecution of the world. But God says, it's beautiful to me. I love it. I am so pleased. It's very precious. It's incorruptible. It's beautiful. It's what I designed and planned. And I love it when there are people who do that. So God's word versus the attitude of the culture. Is there a clash? As as you're hearing this podcast, do you see... A clash, or do you see a, a complete harmony? Some cultures, this, there's a complete harmony. Some cultures, there's a big clash. So God's word leads to this character. But the present culture leads a woman away from this character. So if we see submission as something to despise, as being weak and foolish and base, then this beauty, this greatness of submission, will never be reached.
You know, Alan, I find it kind of interesting how if you look at this really at a fundamental level, and you we've talked about roles, and you've talked about God's wisdom and the purpose he gave for man and woman, I believe a passage we talked about in our first podcast, unless I'm mistaken, it was in Ephesians chapter 4, where in verse 11, it talks about, you know, the Lord gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so when you think about the creator of the universe, the one who made everything that we see around us, a tremendous organization and the movement of the planets, the, the change of seasons, and in his wisdom and the creator of the universe, he understood and felt it was important that there would be roles in life to help us all do his will. So whether it's preaching, once again, evangelism, teachers, and so forth, and in the family, the importance of the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, and raising the family, and all having a very specific purpose to serve for the Lord. And as you touched on, when you look at it that way, it is beautiful because God has pretty much covered all of the important aspects of our lives and gave specific roles to help us accomplish His will and to provide really a harmony uh, for our lives. Excellent. They become a role model to their children. So if their children, to submit to the Scripture and submit to their own husband, then that's a legacy that's going to be handed down to them as well. So we need to realize the far-reaching consequences of accepting or rejecting what God has created to be the role of the man, the role of the woman, the role of the mother and father, and the role of the man and woman in the church, which is what we want to talk about next. In our last podcast, we ended the podcast with the illustration of Apple or Microsoft, and really most makers of technology today. We all understand how quickly technology becomes obsolete. If you are an owner of an Apple 4, excuse me, an iPhone 4, and now we're at iPhone 13. And so what about that Apple 4? Well, it's out, it's obsolete now. But when it was in its, uh, when it was in that time, it was the greatest, most wonderful technology that was in existence. And it brings up an interesting point, and that is that companies like Apple and Microsoft, they have to have two divisions. They have a division that is manufacturing and selling the technology to the current level that we can produce it. And so as you watch the, the development of the computer back in the 80s, and they, they continued to increase the processor, and they continued, Intel has just continued and continued with, with uh, manufacturing a current level, but also researching and developing the next level. And a company that can't do that will not survive. If a company cannot only produce uh, the, the current technology, but is not thinking toward the future and planning for the next step, then they'll be out of business. And many, many companies are out of business now because they focused on the manufacturing, which is important, but so also is the research and development for the future. And in this, I think we have a perfect illustration, a perfect way to understand the role of the man, the role of the woman in the family, in the church, and in every way God set man 
as the worker in the present. Man is the one like the manufacturing and the proper using of the present. The woman, on the other hand, is involved in research and development. The woman is preparing the future generation. If the man and the woman are fully invested in their roles, then the church in the present is going to be sound and faithful. It is going to be hearing the truth and it is going to be doing the work of the Lord. While at the same time, the women are preparing for the future. The women are preparing the children to take on that role when those of us who are living today are dead. If the women have not prepared for the future, the church will die. So it's interesting that in God's wisdom, God could see that every generation was going to be uh, succeeded by another generation. And no matter how great the present generation is, if no one is working with the future generation, then the greatness of that generation is going to end at that time. And we've seen this happen over and over and over again in the church. And this is the sad reality when the women want to get involved in the manufacturing side. And I'm using that term just as illustrate, to illustrate it. But when the, when the women want to get involved in working in the present church, they want to be the preachers, they want to be the elders, they want to be the evangelists, they want to be working with the present generation, they see that that's important. And they're not wrong. It is important. But that's not the role God gave them. If they, fo if they focus on that, then the church in the future is going to be floundering because there's no one preparing for the future. The future is in the children. And God developed and designed the, the mothers and the, the women to work with the future generation. Now, we can scoff at this and we can mock at it. I mean, if I work for Apple and I'm in the manufacturing portion and I'm telling everyone how important the manufacturing portion is and those people in research and development, they're, they're, nobody can see how important they are because we won't even know what they've done for another 10 years. But then 10 years come by and this guy who was bragging about how important his work was now he gets laid off. Now he gets fired because there's no more work because the guys who were working in research and development didn't do their role. And this is what we see in many churches. Because the women did not perform what they were designed and planned by God to do, the next generation of the church is weak or the church simply quits. And we're seeing this all over the world today because the children are not properly being worked with and prepared because the women are busy elsewhere. Uh, churches are getting weaker and weaker. And, you know, that's a human illustration. I think I can prove it. I think we'll spend the rest of our, our podcast talking a little more about this. But I just wanted to put this in your mind because when people think that the women who are working with the children are somehow second class and the men who are working in the present are so important, it's very short-sighted. And it's not what God's plan was. God designed the woman to nurture the children, to bear the children, nurture the children, raise the children, guide the children, and protect them. And he created and designed the man to work in the present 
and to do the work that needs to be done in the present moment. So if we keep that in mind as we as we go into the next section here, I think that that'll be helpful. Yeah, the only thing I just might add before we go into the next section, as you were talking, I was reminded of uh, Titus chapter 2, um, where the older women are instructed, I think beginning roughly verse 4, uh, instructed or admonished, or instructed to admonish the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, etc. Uh, you know, yet again, another verse that talks about, you know, their, their critical focus on the children, on the future, uh, on, on raising the next generation to be faithful. And that's one of the, the foundation verses that I have used through the years to, to come up with this and to understand this, that women have a vital role, the critical role, to be the people who are preparing the next generation. And as the women get older and their children leave home, then they become the ones who train the younger women so that they can be even better than they were. So it's a perfect circumstance where the women work in the future or work for the future and the men work in the present. And, you know, to give you another illustration, both Moses and Timothy had mothers who were faithful and devout. And because Moses' mother did so much for him in those early days, because let's face it, when Moses was in school being taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and when Pharaoh's daughter was training him and teaching him, he didn't learn any of these things. He learned everything he learned from his mother, from the time that the Pharaoh's uh, uh, daughter gave him back to her to nurse him until he left home. That's where he got his early training. And the same thing with Paul saying to Timothy that the faith you have was first in your grandmother and then in your mother, and now it's in you. So these two women are illustrative of how powerful working for the future. Moses was Moses because of his mother, and Timothy was Timothy because of his grandmother and his mother. And so it, it really gives sheds light to the idea that behind every uh, great man is a great woman. And that is exactly true. And oftentimes it's behind every great man is a great mother and a great wife who helped him to become that way. So now we come to the controversy. And I've tried to lay all this groundwork so that as we move into this section, uh, it won't be such a blow. But God is very clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And so, uh, Brian, would you like to read that for us, please? Verses uh, 11 through 15. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So this passage of scripture is exactly what I just said in that illustration. The women are saved in childbearing, and that doesn't mean just having a child. It means childbearing, child-rearing, child-developing, putting the faith of uh, Lois and Eunice into Timothy, putting the faith of that Moses' mother had into her son. And so that's the role of the woman. 
the woman is to learn in silence with all submission. So when the church has come together, when the church is working as the church, this is the role that God has given to the women. And he says in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, this verse is controversial. This verse is despised. It is weak and foolish in the eyes of many, many people because of the wisdom of men. But this is exactly, I mean, when Paul says in verse 14, or 13 and 14, Adam was formed first, that takes us all the way back to the creation. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, that takes us all the way back to the garden and the serpent deceiving the woman. And so this is all the way back at the beginning. This is first and foremost part of God's plan. And secondly, it is part of the punishment that was given to the man and to the woman after they sinned. To the man was given the punishment of thorns and thistles and the sweat of his brow working in the present. And the woman was told that you will be in submission to your husband and you will be in pain in childbirth. So, and again, some people are saying right now, I'm sure as they're hearing this podcast, that is ridiculous. That is foolish. That is, I look down on that. I think that is terrible. Well, that's what we've been trying to lay down since the beginning of this lesson, is that when you come to a scripture, and that's how you feel, it's a test. It's a test between whether you will submit to the wisdom of God, or whether you will force the teachings of the present generation handed down from their fathers. You'll force the scriptures to submit to that. And so that's our choice. So we're going to do the will of God. The will of God is revealed, first of all, in the creation. Secondly, at the point of sin, when sin entered the world, God made punishment. And so Paul says, as a result of the way God created man and woman, and as a result of the punishment that God gave to the man and the woman, that the woman is not permitted to teach or to have dominion or authority over a man. This means she can't be an elder. And that's why when you look at the qualifications for the elders in 1 Timothy 3, the first command is the husband of one wife. That can't be a woman. When it comes to the deacons, it's stated the same way, the husband of one wife. Throughout the New Testament, there are only men who are evangelists. There are only men who are apostles. And again, you say, well, what does that prove? Well, it proves that God wanted men working in the present generation. It's the men that are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, while the women are preparing the next generation so that they can go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what Eunice and Lois were doing. They were preparing Timothy so that when Paul needed him, he was ready. And so when God reveals here, that a woman is to learn in silence with all submission and not to teach or take dominion over a man, that closes the door in the church to this work. Now again, I know there's a lot of people out there who are doing just the opposite. There are many churches who are teaching just the opposite. There are some churches who are telling us that Paul was wrong when he wrote this. <clears throat> but again, Paul didn't write it. The Holy Spirit wrote it through Paul. And so when we take the position that a scripture is not applicable to me because the person who wrote it was just a man, 
Well, you might as well fall into the category of what Jesus said about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, because that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying, I don't believe the Holy Spirit wrote this. I think Paul did. So once we understand that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, the Holy Spirit is forbidding a woman to teach, a woman to preach, a woman to take dominion over a man, then that puts us into the proper frame of reference with which to approach the role of the man and the woman. And But if we are not going to accept this verse, we come back to, what about that meek and quiet spirit? What about that attitude of, of submission? And yet here we have a plain command and people saying, I am not going to submit to that. Well, the very fact that we won't submit to a command puts us in the position of no longer being in submission. And Paul had the same problem in the church at Corinth. And in many ways, this passage is even more important and more powerful than the one in 1 Timothy. So, um, Jeff, would you like to read 1 Corinthians 14, please, verses uh, 34 through 38? Okay. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, they are to be submissive, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. If anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So, in this verse... Everything that we have said from the beginning of this podcast to this point is now developed in every possible way. First of all, in verse 37, he says, if you think you're a prophet, if you think you are spiritually minded, if you think you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must acknowledge that the things which I write are the commandments of the Lord. And if you won't, he says in verse 38, if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. There's nothing more we can do. If you're going to read this passage of Scripture and reject it because Paul wrote it, then you are neither a prophet, you are not spiritual, you are not even a disciple of the Lord. You are simply ignorant because no one who reads a passage of Scripture and rejects it can in any way justify that in the eyes of God. Now, these are not my words. These are Paul's words. I didn't say you're ignorant. The Holy Spirit says that if you choose human wisdom over Scripture, then that is ignorance because you should have made the other choice. Now, starting verse 34, he says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive. Well, that's what we've been talking about. Now, submission is great. Submission is greatness. Now, some women are going to say, I don't see it that way. Well, that is your prerogative as a human being to decide whether or not you're going to submit to the scripture or not. But what is despised and what is base and foolish and weak in the eyes of the world is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And someday, when we stand before him on the judgment day, and all of these cultural norms are stripped away, and the only thing that is left is Scripture, then our submission or rebellion to this Scripture and 
This is, again, this is not me saying these things. This is the Holy Spirit revealing it. And so Paul says it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, we do need to make one interesting uh, point here, and that is that when Paul speaks of being in church, he's talking about the first day of the week assembly, as, as is described in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 23 to 25, and is described in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul speaks of coming together in one place to take the Lord's Supper. So this is not talking about a Bible class where the man who is teaching the class says, are there any questions? And he would take a question from a woman just as much as from a man. He's not speaking of the activities outside of that worship assembly. And so when he speaks of them being in complete silence, that's what he is describing. And uh, we need to keep that very clear in our minds because he is not saying here women can't sing. He is not saying that women can't ask questions in in Bible classes. But what he is saying is that when the church has come together on the first day of the week to worship, then they are not preaching, they are not praying, they are not taking an active role. They are to be submissive and they are to be silent. And if they, even if they have a question in that assembly then let them ask their own husbands at home. And so, again, we have women preachers, we have women elders, but we have them because of the culture, not because of the scripture. And so your attitude at this point in the, in the podcast is critical. Uh, if you're angry, it's not because of anything I've said. All I've said is what the scriptures say. I have not added one thought to it. I have just read what the scriptures say and explained what the scriptures say. And so the problem is going to fall into several categories. And so there's just a couple of more verses that I would like to leave with you as we wind this podcast down. The first is to remind you that in John 12, 48, Jesus said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And the word that Jesus has spoken is what the, Holy, what the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles. When Jesus died and went back to heaven, there was no word. There was no Bible. There was nothing. The Holy Spirit gave Luke and Matthew and Mark and John the remembrance and the ability to write those things down. That's what Jesus promised in John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Bring to your remembrance all that I've spoken to you. That's all we're reading. When we read Paul's words, we're reading what the Holy Spirit taught him. Uh, same thing in John 16, verses 12 and 13. I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but what he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So when Paul wrote these words, they were not his words. They were Jesus' words as recorded by the Holy Spirit. And if we reject them, then on the last day, that word will judge us. So as we wind down this podcast, let me just reiterate, God designed women to work for the future. Their role is critical. It is every bit as important as the role of a man. There is no demeaning here. There is only the division of their roles. 
when God gave the Old Testament, he told the Jews, there are only one family in the entire Jewish nation that can work as my priests. Now, there were many men who were far better than, than the priest who was of the tribe of Aaron, but they could never be priests. And the same thing is true today. There are many women who are, in many respects, more spiritual, more intelligent, and maybe even better speakers than men. That's never been the question. It's not ability. It's submission and the desire to be right with God. So, Alan, I appreciate you know how you've presented this study, and I know you've tried to be careful because, as you pointed out more than once, you know, for some, what you're saying may be a little bit shocking, and it and it's to me that it's because here in the United States and in other parts of the world, people have become so used to women taking leadership roles to the point now where we have women evangelists, uh, women taking the lead in the homes, sometimes because the man isn't doing it or, or just because uh, our society, and Jeff kind of alluded to this earlier as well, you know, our society has changed and it's just become more acceptable. So as a result, yeah, a lot of these things that you're saying could be shocking to some, but I appreciate your emphasis on the scriptures. As we always try to do in this podcast, we just present what the what God's Word says, and hopefully our listeners can see God's wisdom and why He has given the role to the man and the woman that He has, and hopefully we'll have enough respect for what He has to say uh, to follow His Word and put aside any either preconceived notions or you know, societal pressures that may want us to think differently. Well, I appreciate that, Brian. These these kind of subjects are not because the scriptures don't teach it, but because we don't want to offend people. We're trying to word things in a kind, gentle way. And yet these are absolute truths. And we have one choice and one choice alone, and that is to accept them or reject them. That's the only options that we have, and I have chosen to accept them. I will not allow the culture to affect what the scriptures say, and I hope our listeners won't either. Yeah, I appreciate that, Alan. Uh, and as we always like to do, encourage our listeners to come to our website at biblequestions.org, where we have a lot of material on this particular subject in several different categories. Under the Topics menu item, uh, C for Church Government, since uh, Alan mentioned, you know, elders and, and deacons uh, being uh, males. Uh, e for elders, uh, same, similar topic. Uh, w for women, M for marriage, and F for family. Lots of material. We would certainly encourage our listeners to go there, read the material, especially study the scriptures, and not just take our word for it and do what they can to try to set aside the cultural norms where they conflict with the Bible and do what God would have us to do. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.